Hi, and welcome to the role of interleukin-6 in rheumatoid arthritis, Expert Perspectives, a podcast series brought to you by Sanofi Genzyme. I'm Jeff Catalano, your moderator for this podcast. This podcast will take a deep dive into the signaling pathways activated by interleukin-6, or IL-6, and how IL-6 compares to other well-studied cytokines implicated in rheumatoid arthritis, or RA. Today, we're very excited to have as our guest speaker, Dr. Alvin Wells. He is a rheumatologist and director at the Aurora Rheumatology and Immunotherapy Center in Franklin, Wisconsin. He is a visiting foreign professor at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, and an adjunct assistant professor at Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome, Dr. Wells. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for having me. Dr. Wells, can you tell us more about your research experience and interests and how you became interested in RA and the role of IL-6? Wow. I tell you, that goes back to when I was an undergraduate student. I went to a liberal arts college where we had the month of January off to do what's called an interim semester. And during that time, I was already a biology major. I wanted to do medicine, so I was pre-med, but I had no idea what to do with this interim semester. And actually, I had never heard of it. So I talked to one of my biology professors and said, hey, you know, we have this whole um, biology library we think about putting together. We haven't had anybody really to kind of get together with the, the skeletal system. So we have all these bones. We have some fossils and things like that. So why don't you help put that together? So I did that. That was my project for the month, kind of organizing those uh, fossils and bones and the skeleton, and then began to read about different types of arthritis and things like that. And I think that really kind of spurred my interest in rheumatology and has led me where I have been for the last 25 years. Great. Let's get started. We know that RA is a chronic disease characterized by articular and systemic inflammation and driven in part by cytokines. Would you be able to tell us about how this inflammation comes about in RA and which cytokines are involved? Yes, you know, this is something that really plays a special part, you know, to me and what my background was. So actually, after I finished up my doctorate in immunology, I got a grant from the NIH that allowed me a chance to go to Sweden to study and to delve really into the pathophysiology behind inflammatory joint diseases. And it allowed me to do two things. One, we actually work with the human samples, so synovial biopsies from patients with rheumatoid arthritis, but also with doing animal models, both mouse and rat, to allow me to delve into the pathophysiology behind rheumatoid arthritis. And indeed, back in that time, we identified some of the key players, molecules such as interleukin-1, tumor necrosis factor, IL-6. And then we begin to learn that it's a dysregulation of that immune system that actually leads to the development of and perpetuation of a chronic inflammatory disease such as rheumatoid arthritis. So Dr. Wells, you've mentioned IL-6. Can you tell our listeners about how IL-6 exerts its effects? Well, I tell you, IL-6 is unlike most other cytokines because of its unique dual signaling mechanism. It can signal by both what we call the cis and a trans signaling. And what does that mean? Well, the cis signaling is what we all maybe think about. So like that lock and key theory that we talk about in immunology, you have one key that fits into a lock. That means in this case, that IL-6 binds to its membrane-bound IL-6 receptor. The cis trans signaling is also limited to cells that express that membrane-bound receptor. And this includes hepatocytes and some leukocytes as well. It's the cis signaling that's important for homeostasis and protective functions that IL-6 serves. The trans signaling is a little bit different. It means that IL-6 can bind to a soluble receptor, or what we call the soluble IL-6 receptor. And this trans signaling occurs on cell types expressing this trans glycoprotein, what we call the GP-130. It's expressed on a number of different cell types, including osteoclasts, synoviocytes, endothelial cells, adipocytes, and neural cells, 
all what I call the usual suspects when we think about patients with rheumatoid arthritis. The trans-signaling mechanism is the predominant IL-6 signaling mechanisms that are observed in inflammatory disease states, and that itself can actually lead to the induction of these activated cells. The take-home message in both signaling mechanisms binding of IL-6 to its respective receptor alone is inadequate to initiate the signaling. It's the complex that serves that role. The IL-6 and its receptor complex must also engage that GP-130. Because the GP-130 is ubiquitous expressed, it can then act directly on almost all cell types which can express the pleiotropic effects that we see from IL-6. Got it. So dual signaling pathway, both cis and trans, and either way, signaling through GP-130. Can you tell us more about what happens next? Yes, and that's what's really kind of interesting because when you have that signal that occurs, there are three different pathways that's been discovered that's talked about that happens downstream. The first is what we call the MAP kinase pathway. The second is a PI3 kinase pathway. And the third is a JAK-STAT pathway. It's fascinating how IL-6 activates not one, but three signaling pathways implicated in RA. Now, the first pathway you mentioned, the MAP kinase pathway, is less known in the rheumatology community, but has an important role in RA. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. You know, when some of my colleagues look at these pathways, it kind of brings back some nightmares from biochemistry, learning all these pathways that we memorize. But indeed, when you think about these pathways in, in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, they're really not that, that complex. For example, the MAP kinase pathway is activated by phosphorylation of the tyrosine receptor modus on the GP130 that we already mentioned. This is inside the cytoplasm of a cell, and when that happens, it causes binding of the adapter protein called the SH2 domain, which also contains phosphatase 2. And that induces a whole cascade of events, and I said it's set up just a kind of lightning bolt that turns that cell on and leads to activation. It leads to signaling of other pro-inflammatory cytokines, and some of these can cause a physical stress on the cell and lead to other inflammatory responses. And indeed, it can also lead to a regulation of certain genes that lead to other things like survival versus apoptosis. Cells, instead of dying, they might proliferate and differentiate to other types of cells. And indeed, when I'm specifically thinking about rheumatoid arthritis, it's the activation of this pathway that leads to the activation of osteoclasts. And many of my colleagues would know about that because these are the cells that break down bone. They lead to bone resorption. And the synthesis of other pro-inflammatory mediators also mediated by this pathway. Things like the metalloproteinases, bisynovial cells, synovial cell apoptosis, uh, chemotractive mononuclear cells, and angiogenesis. And it just leads to the induction of endothelial cells. The take-home message, this whole pathway, when it becomes dysregulated in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, it sets up the cytokine pathway that can trigger a number of cells that lead to what we see phenotypically as rheumatoid arthritis. You also mentioned the PI3 kinase pathway. This pathway is also not widely talked about in rheumatology, but is associated with RA pathogenesis. What more can you tell us about this pathway? You know, the PI3 kinase pathway is one of the most important ones. Not only are we talking about rheumatoid arthritis, but indeed it's causing intracellular signaling in mammalian cells. Uh, it plays a role on the normal conditions where it maintains and regulates our cells' functions. Uh, and these are comparable to some of the ones we see the MAP kinase pathways as well. Now, when we talk about with rheumatoid arthritis, the PI3 kinase pathway, it also leads to what we call these subchondral bone erosions. And many of us can see those very easily on the x-rays. And this is due to persistent activation of the uh, osteoclasts. And they become overactivated, leading to the breakdown of bone. In addition to that, it also leads to the production of other cytokines that enhance the proliferation of fibroblast-like synovial sites. 
And if you take a biopsy of a synovial tissue, you can see these things that are inflamed. So this pathway it has a normal role in homeostasis, but when it becomes dysregulated in rheumatoid arthritis, we can see some of the changes that we can see on x-rays and other changes with patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And finally, we have one more pathway that we haven't discussed yet, the JAK-STAT pathway. Can you give us more detail on that? Well, the JAK-STAT pathway is one of the central signaling hubs in inflammatory cells and in the immune response. When IL-6 binds to this receptor and this GP-130, there's a conformational change. And this allows a pair of JAK proteins to associate with the cytoplasmic tail of the GP-130. So imagine a cell membrane, you got part of this tail that's dangling in that cytoplasm. And once that gets tickled, then you can see a whole chain of events that occurs. When this occurs, the two JAK proteins, they phosphorylate each other. And then these JAK proteins, they phosphorylate the tyrosine residues on this tail of the GP-130. And that pattern dictates which specific stat proteins will bind. And these two stat proteins are recruited to bind to the cytoplasmic tail of this receptor. And these stat proteins, they dimerize and translocate to the cell nucleus where they can drive the transcription of specific genes. And what role does this pathway play in RA? Well, in rheumatoid arthritis, the JAK-STAT pathway it leads to persistent activation and contributes to the pathogenesis and the progression of rheumatoid arthritis. And this occurs by a number of different inflammatory cytokines and the effects on certain immune cells, including T-cell proliferation, the T-helper cell that we're learning about now. And overall, these three different pathways that we talked about, so the MAP kinase, the PI3 kinase, and the JAK-STAT pathway, they're all critical to the intracellular signaling normally, but in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, it triggers this chronic inflammatory cascade. That's a nice review of these three intracellular signaling pathways that are activated by IL-6. Now let's go back up to the level of the cytokines themselves. You mentioned earlier that IL-6 is unlike most cytokines. So what are some of the key cytokines and signaling proteins that are involved in RA pathogenesis? This is one of the exciting things about rheumatology because it really has taken us what we call from the bench to the bedside or what I say from the pipette to the patient. Because we know that in addition to IL-6, the other most well-characterized are the JAK proteins and cytokines including tumor necrosis factor and interleukin-1. All of these play a critical role in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, and you just described the JAK pathway for us. How do the JAK proteins compare to IL-6? The JAK proteins are key, and they are major intracellular components that transduce signals inside of cells. And they have a multitude of extracellular ligands. So these are factors that bind to the surface of the cell that trigger this JAK-STAT pathway. These include cytokines, they include colony-simulating factors, and also some hormones. Remember that the JAK pathway is involved in a wide spectrum of cellular functions normally. This includes cell proliferation, invasion, survival of inflammation, and immunity. And it's these functions that are present in the pathogenesis of immunologic diseases and also play a role in normal physiologic functions as well. Uh, remember that when we talk about the JAK pathway, there are actually a family of enzymes, and there are four different enzymes that we highlight. JAK1, JAK2, JAK3, and tyrosine kinase 2, which is TIC2. Specifically, when we talk about rheumatoid arthritis, as a rheumatologist, what role does that mean for me is these cytokines that signal through this JAK pathway that are important. And these include things like the type 1 interferons, interleukin-6, interleukin-15, and granulocyte macrophage colony stimulating factors, among others. Each cytokine, remember, can recruit and bring in what I call all of its friends, right? And employ the specific combination of proteins and inducing that inflammatory pathway. And it's this signaling mechanism that's used by IL-6 to activate these downstream pathways, and that's what's different from the JAK proteins. 
IL-6 signals only through specific receptors, uh, the IL-6 receptor and its GP-130, and has primarily pro-inflammatory functions. By contrast, the JAK proteins mediate the signal by many uh, different cytokines, hormones, and granulocolony-stimulating factors implicated not only in pro-inflammatory functions, but also physiologic functions as well. This can all lead to nonspecific downstream effects. You mentioned another cytokine that can activate signaling pathways, TNF-alpha. Can you tell us about how it signals? Like interleukin-6, TNF-alpha is a pro-inflammatory cytokine with distinct signaling mechanisms. TNF-alpha is triggered and is a central mediator of pro-inflammatory signaling. But when we think about it, it's this ligand. It actually starts off as a longer form. So you have this long, what we call a precursor protein, uh, that is membrane-bound. This membrane-bound form of tumor necrosis factor is actually cleaved to create a soluble form of TNF-alpha. But both the membrane and the soluble form of TNF-alpha can regulate these biologic responses that we see in cells. And the effects of TNF-alpha ligands are dependent upon them binding to one of its two membrane-bound receptors, TNF receptor 1 and TNF receptor 2. TNF receptor 1 is primarily for a signaling receptor and is expressed on most mammalian cells whereas TNF receptor 2 is highly regulated and expressed in limited endothelial cells, subpopulation of T cells, and mesenchymal stem cells as well. So not only do these receptors, can they be membrane-bound, but they can also be enzymatically cleaved, and the extracellular domains both for TNF receptor 1 and TNF receptor 2 can lead to activation of the soluble forms. The soluble form can bind and neutralize soluble TNF-alpha ligands and thus blocking the ligand interaction with the membrane-bound receptor, serving as a natural TNF-alpha antagonist. It's disassociation that inhibits any potential downstream signaling from occurring. Now, how does soluble TNF receptors compare to IL-6 receptor? Well, in contrast to the soluble TNF receptor, IL-6 receptors also exist in a soluble form as we discussed earlier. However, the soluble IL-6 receptor binds to its IL-6 ligand to form a functional complex which potentiates downstream signaling and this can drive the inflammatory cascade. Soluble TNF receptors do just uh, the opposite. They bind to ligands and they neutralize the signaling. The other cytokine you mentioned earlier was IL-1. How does IL-1 signaling work? Well, I can tell you IL-1 plays a special role to me because it was that time as a young graduate student, we actually worked with a group that discovered IL-1, and we actually began to learn more about this as what it is as a pro-inflammatory cytokine. So like IL-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha, it stimulates both local and systemic responses in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. So when you think about IL-1, remember it's a whole family that includes three different ligands, IL-1-alpha and IL-1-beta. These are what we call the stimulatory ligands. And the IL-1 receptor A is a specific IL-1 receptor antagonist. IL-1 utilizes two membrane-bound receptors, okay, the IL-1 receptor 1. And this is expressed on cells such as the monocytes, the dendritic cells, the T cells, and fibroblasts, as well as epithelial cells. And all of those cells, as you know, play a role in rheumatoid arthritis. And all three interleukin-1 receptors, they can bind to this receptor. So the binding of IL-1-alpha or beta into those ligands, it can cause recruitment of other IL-1 receptors, accessory proteins. And these complexes allows for downstream signaling. That kind of triggers this whole dysregulation that we see. The binding of IL-1 receptor A, it inhibits that. It, it binds to IL-1-alpha, it binds to IL-1-beta, and it binds to IL-1 receptor 1 that prevents this downstream signaling. It's like the brakes of the system. 
So IL-1 receptor uh, 2 is expressed on predominantly B cells and neutrophils. It's a little bit different than on the IL-1 receptor 1. Uh, it actually uh, combine also to um, IL-1 alpha and beta. However, it acts as a decoy receptor. And this does bind that inhibits interleukin-1 receptor 1 associated with accessory proteins by sequestering the ligrin and therefore prevents IL-1 receptor 1 from downstream signaling. Intriguing. So if I'm following, the IL-1 ligand family has two naturally occurring regulators that both prevent downstream signaling, the IL-1-RA ligand and this decoy receptor IL-1-R2? Yeah, you know, but that's not the end of the story. And when you think about it, IL-1 also binds to two soluble receptors, so the soluble receptor 1 and the soluble receptor 2. And it's these soluble receptors that bind to IL-1-beta with a higher affinity than it does to IL-1-alpha and IL-1-receptor antagonists. Remember, these complexes, they are non-functional and they decrease IL-1-beta that's available for binding to the membrane-bound interleukin-1-receptor-1. And therefore, they prevent the functional complex that inhibits downstream signaling. To summarize, the functional components of IL-1 signaling that promote the downstream signaling are the stimulatory ligand for both IL-1-alpha and beta, the membrane-bound IL-1 receptor, and the accessory protein. So, simply put, soluble IL-1 receptor binds to IL-1-beta, and that decreases the amount of ligands that are available to bind to IL-1 receptor 1, and this is preventing downstream signaling. Now, how does this signaling mechanism compare to that of IL-6 or TNF-alpha in RA? IL-1 signaling is similar to TNF-alpha in that they both of the soluble receptors form what we call these non-functional complexes. They inhibit downstream signaling mechanism and thus play a, um, what we call more of an anti-inflammatory role in this immune process. In contrast to IL-6, it forms a functional complex it's with its soluble receptor, and this allows downstream signaling mechanism and thus plays a pro-inflammatory role. Thank you very much, Dr. Wells, for walking us through the different cytokines that play a role in RA. It appears there are many differences between the pathways and the signaling mechanisms of IL-6 compared with these other cytokines. So let's start to wrap up. What would you say for our audience are the main takeaways from today's discussion? The main takeaways don't have nightmares for your days of biochemistry. And you really want to think about what IL-6 and the three different pathways that play a role in rheumatoid arthritis. I call those three pathways a triple ripple, right? Because the three together can actually lead to this dysregulation of the immune system. Remember, we highlighted the MAP kinase pathway that's responsible for bone and joint health. We talked about the PI3 kinase pathway that's responsible for production of cytokines and enhanced proliferation of fibroblast-like synovial sites and cytokine production. And the JAK-STAT pathway is responsible for chronic inflammation and autoimmune diseases and differentiation of immune cells. While there are multiple cytokines that play a number of different roles in the pathogenesis of rheumatoid arthritis, it's the unique mechanism IL-6 signaling that sets it apart from JAK, TNF-alpha, and IL-1 signaling. So remember, compared to JAK proteins, which have a nonspecific effect, is exerted through multiple cytokines, hormones, and colony-stimulating factors, IL-6 binds to one receptor, allowing for specific downstream signaling. And also compared to TNF-alpha and interleukin-1, which form non-functional complexes through their soluble receptors and cause anti-inflammatory effects, IL-6 forms a functional complex with the soluble receptor, leading to pro-inflammatory effects. Well, this has been extremely insightful, and we really appreciate you taking us through these three pathways that IL-6 activates, and the differences between IL-6, JAK, TNF-alpha, and IL-1 signaling. 
Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Wells. Well, I'll tell you, as a rheumatologist and immunologist, this has been a pleasure for me, and thank you for having me. I've been joined today by Dr. Alvin Wells, a rheumatologist and director of the Aurora Rheumatology and Immunotherapy Center in Franklin, Wisconsin. Thank you, Dr. Wells, for your insights, and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. Stay tuned for the next podcast in this series called IL-6, a key link between innate and adaptive immune responses in RA. And for more information on the role of IL-6 in rheumatoid arthritis, be sure to visit www.raandil6.com. That's www.raandil6.com. No